Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Dave. And I'm Josh. And welcome to episode four of The Putback. Take today two. We'll be talking, today, yeah, take two. We had a little bit of audio troubles on the first one. But um, today we'll be talking about UFC 229, the NBA, and a little bit, uh, we'll touch on the NFL. Yes. But uh, today we'll let, recap, we'll let David recap some of the fights up to the Pettis fight. All right, so... um. First and foremost, we'll be giving you guys a little um, look at the UFC 229 main card. It started off with a women's strawweight bout. Michelle Watterson appeared to be the underdog coming in this fight against Little Bulldog Felice Herrig. It was a really good fight, in my opinion, and it was the perfect one to start off the card. It was a nice back-and-forth fight with Herrig trying to bully Watterson against the cage. But Watterson kept her composure and remained calm. She held her own, threw some devastating karate kicks, including one directly to Herrig's throat. And the fight went the distance, but Watterson came out on top. The second main card fight was a heavyweight showdown between the Black Beast Derek Lewis and the Russian Alexander Volkov, who sounds exactly like he would be a WWF heel. Volkov set the pace for this fight, and it was very close to securing a a pretty one-sided decision victory when Lewis hit the home run shot in the very last minute of the final round. It was a very clutch victory, and this guy had the most hilarious post-fight interview I think I've ever seen. Please look it up on YouTube. I wish we had a snippet. Derek Lewis, UFC 229 post-fight interview. It's hilarious. This guy, he keeps it real for sure. It it was awesome. You, it There's profanity, but check it out. The end of this it third fight was a little confusing. Um, It was Dominic Reyes versus Ovin St. Preux. Reyes landed some big shots on OSP, and he was never actually able to get fully back into it, in my opinion, at the very end. Reyes landed a huge shot on St. Prue, and it appeared OSP went straight to sleep. But I guess there was some time left on the clock or something, and Reyes thought he won by KO, but the bell never sounded. And OSP was able to get back to his feet, changing the win from, instead of a knockout, it was actually Reyes winning by decision, opposed to the KO, but that man was out cold. He was asleep. Very weird ending to a UFC fight. None of us knew what was going on, honestly. Yeah, um... The end of this next fight was actually pretty confusing, too, because we didn't understand what happened. But we're on to the co-main event, the fight of the night, and quite possibly a fight of the year candidate, Ferguson versus Pettis. This was an awesome fight and by far my favorite fight to watch on this card. Now, before the fight, we were like, oh, my God, we want Showtime to knock this dude out. Ferguson was doing this cringy dance the whole time. He was very, very flashy. And you can ask Josh, we all wanted this man to get his teeth knocked down his throat because he was just he was just acting wild. <laughs> Definitely. But um the fight was very bloody and these guys were going back and forth the entire fight. Ferguson actually imitated Pettis twice by pushing off the cage to punch him in the face. And that's Anthony Pettis' signature, by the way. He jumps off the cage and um tries to kick you in the face, hence the name Showtime Kick, because his nickname is Showtime Pettis. And um, at one point in the fight, Showtime ends up on top, and he's pounding Ferguson's face in. And he takes the time to do this Undertaker-esque face, which is going to be one of the most iconic poses in UFC history, in my opinion. But unfortunately, Pettis broke his hand in the fight, which led to a TKO victory for Ferg. And he seemed pretty upset to win in that fashion. He was literally bawling tears. And I I didn't know what happened, honestly. He was crying. I'll say that. Go ahead. I'll say that definitely that was my favorite fight by far just because of how entertaining it was. And I'll say that it was definitely better than the main event as far as fights go. 
But also, the ending was very confusing, and I kind of do have a little bit of respect, even though I don't, I, I don't think I would have cried necessarily. But I do like, I do respect the fact that he wanted to win fair and square. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think they should definitely do a rematch of this fight. Um, I, I would pay to watch it personally. But um, all right. So now I think we're onto the fight that everybody's been waiting for: the notorious Conor McGregor versus the Eagle Khabib. Nurmagomedov. I said that all right. I butchered his name. Nurmagomedov. <laughs> the Irishman versus the Russian. Now, as everybody knows, I'm a Conor McGregor fan through and through, and I'll be the first one to admit that this man has fell off. <laughs> personally. Yeah, needed to hit the gym a little bit earlier. Personally, I didn't think him not having an actual fight in the UFC for um, two years would hurt him, considering, you know, he's still been training and boxing. And – I guess he just needed a tune-up fight or something. I don't know. But the Dagestani gangster smothered and dominated him for the first two rounds. And I knew that Khabib was strong, but he's much more powerful than I thought. And he hung over McGregor like a shadow for those first two rounds. Third round was a little bit different. Connor resisted a takedown, and he was able to survive the third round and even take one that one on the scorecard. And eventually Khabib actually landed a very hard run a very hard lick once um he was he was gonna act like he was taking Connor down and Connor kinda flinched and he just laid into him. Finally in the fourth round, Khabib wrestled McGregor to the ground and tried to lock him in a rear naked choke. It was less of a choke because McGregor had some pretty good defense, honestly, and his chin was down, and it resulted in a very effective neck crank nearly snapping Connor's neck. And that's all for the main for the actual card and I think we're gonna get into some of the post fight antics actually. Uh yeah um the whole thing about this is that it definitely led to an easy decision of who our in the defense of section segment will be about for today. sure a- and that is in the defense of both of them Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov yeah so here's here's my view of this is that okay. Connor's been painted as the bad guy. And yes, he is normally painted that way because he is very cocky. Right. That is, everyone knows this. I personally like it because the majority of the time he backs it up. Yeah. Today, or actually a few nights ago, he did not. <laughs> but Connor McGregor, I feel like, is unfairly painted as the background or as the bad guy, excuse me, because. His friend was assaulted by Khabib, and Connor went. The only reason he ever was at that bus and threw that dolly was because of that. And yes, was that a very extreme reaction? Definitely. But I mean, to me, I kind of see that as Connor being a you know ride or die. I was going to say. Let me just say, say, Connor McGregor is the definition of ride or die. (laughs) The definition of ride or die. Like, the whole beef started when Connor's friend and longtime training partner, Artem Labov, made a statement that Connor – okay, this is what started the whole shebang. Artem made a statement that Connor was the rightful champion and not Khabib because, as you know, Connor was stripped of the title. And Khabib ends up getting it. So he pretty much called Khabib for pulling fights and things like this. So Khabib was obviously butthurt and confronted him. He cornered Artem and slapped him, thus igniting McGregor. McGregor and his posse pulled up on Khabib while he was on the bus, and being that Nurmagomedov stayed on the bus, Connor picked up a dolly and launched it at it. 
probably wasn't the smartest thing that McGregor's ever done, but he did go to court and he did face his consequences. You know, he turned himself in. But um, Dana White, being the businessman he is, set up the fight between these two, and he tried to cash in on McGregor doing a criminal act and putting him in promos, even though they said they didn't condone his actions, which was bull because you obviously condone something because if you didn't, then you wouldn't post it everywhere for the whole world to see and say the world is watching. But, you know, after the fight, when it had to mouth off, and we know from past experiences, Khabib is not going to take that lip. He hopped the over the octagon and starts swinging on Connor's friend, now the state of Nevada doesn't want to pay Khabib, and Dana's talking about stripping his title and et cetera. But I think Khabib's actions are totally understandable, being, you know, Connor disrespected his religion, his father, his home, him. I mean, McGregor even threatened to kill this man. Uh, you can only take so much. And I, I would have done the same thing, maybe not to the same degree, but I would have did something similar to both. In Connor's position, I probably wouldn't have thrown a dolly, but I would have confronted the man and be like, hey, and – I think if I was Khabib, I probably would have hopped the octagon and hopped on somebody's head. I'm not going to lie. I'll say this, though. The dude who jumped in the ring to try and tag Connor from behind definitely does not want to step into a ring with Connor. That's what I'm saying. Little um, Moe's from The Office? Yeah. <laughs> they all look like Moe's from The Office. I think they literally found all of Moe's stunt doubles. And put them in. Who knew Shroot Farms Bruh, could fight so Dwight well. has been training these guys hard. He's been training them something serious. But, um, yeah, I don't judge either one of these guys for what they've done, honestly. I mean, they both paid the consequences. And, all right, I, I just want to say, um, do a quick what's next for Conor McGregor. So, bef- before I do this, I've got another story that I, um, I noticed today because I saw – Okay, I was doing some research today, right? And there's this guy named Polly um, Malinaji, and he was a pro boxer. You know, he's pretty good. He's pretty good, man. He's a world champion caliber guy. So I see where he says, first of all, let me say this man. His name is Polly, and he looks like Polly Shore. So, I mean, he kind of looks like a, a douchebag. But um, after the Khabib fight, he says this about Connor. It's what I've been saying. This guy's got no balls. He's got no character, and he showed it in this fight again. The choke wasn't even on his throat last night. He tapped out before the choke was even in. He couldn't wait to get out of that fight. Okay, well, let's dive into that a little bit deeper. You know, Polly Shore over here. I mean, sorry, Paul, Polly Malinaji, whatever. He's hopping all over Connor for this reason. So, you know how McGregor fought Mayweather, right? Okay, yeah. so... Before that fight, you know, Paulie is a professional boxer, or he actually just retired like two years ago. Paulie tweets out that he could beat Connor with one hand tied behind his back. Okay, so a few weeks mm. later, Mm-mm-mm. Connor brings him into spar with in preparation of the Mayweather fight, and um, I mean, Connor stores everything. He he remembers. So the guy joins Team McGregor, and he's gonna help. He's gonna help McGregor chain. And McGregor straight up says, you know, I'm going to bring him in and F him up. Like, that's his exact words. I'm going to bring him in and F him up. He beats Polly up in the spar. Like, dude, he beat him up. It's pretty bad. He tried to say that Connor pushed him down. But if you look up the video right now, Connor was tagging this man. Like, he's beating up a former pro fighter. And Polly got mad because he felt like he was done dirty because they brought him in just to beat the mess out of him. 
and try and promote Connor beating a former champion. So he gets mad and quits Team McGregor. Now he's butt hurt and he's trying to take jabs at Connor. So I mean, so. listen, <laughs> that that's another person who just don't want to step into the octagon. That's what I'm saying. So what I think is next for Connor, he's got one of two options that I would like. He's really he's got I mean, there's three different scenarios in my opinion. One, I think if he wants to go back to boxing for a little while, I think he should box Pauli Malignaggi because, I mean, the guy hasn't been retired that long. He could pull up Floyd Mayweather pretty easily, train a little bit. Since he can beat Conor one-handed, he might as well step in there and prove it. They would both make a ton of money off of it. It would. I would watch it. Dude. I would really want to see – I would want to see that fight. Second scenario, um, Conor – he doesn't deserve another title shot. So, this is where we go from here. This is where this is going to venture off. So either Connor needs to take another fight and um just prep again to earn his spot as contender. I think he should fight Ferguson because Ferguson is freaking crazy and I think he might be a murderer. If he wasn't in the UFC, he would murder people on the street. And that's I'm talking about the guy that fought Pettis, by the way. If some of you are, aren't following, I think he should fight Ferguson because that dude he, he's a lightweight. He's, he's really good. I think Connor could fight Ferguson, and that would cement him. Maybe he does need another shot. Maybe so. Maybe he he just needed that extra tune-up. Um, or I've also – I think since the fans are going to say Connor doesn't deserve another title shot back-to-back, but it's obvious they're going to do a second fight, I think Dana White would do Khabib dirty. And since he um jumped over the octagon and swung on that dude, I think Dana White will strip Khabib of the title and open up the lane for Connor versus Khabib two. I think he'll strip him of the uh, fight and he'll set them up for another pay per view in a couple months. I mean, because we've all heard the news that I mean, Connor's already been calling Dana to try and get the rematch. Exactly, and like set up. he didn't. The first thing he said after the fight was, "Good knock. Can't wait to see you in round two or whatever he said. And he also tweeted him with his busted open face and said, I may have lost the battle or may have lost the battle. Well, I won the war. But then he went on to say the war is still going. So how'd you win a war that's still going on? No, no. He said he lost the fight, but he won the battle. That was okay. his exact words. And I do not understand that at all. He lost. The f- that is not how metaphors work. Like- <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's saying because he got paid and could be not going to get paid. Because at first I originally read, that both of them, they were like their accounts had got frozen or whatever, and neither one of them was going to get paid. But then later on, I saw that it was just Khabib. I think Connor should get paid because, you know, he didn't really do anything out of the way after the fight. I mean, you're not going to let somebody hop the octagon and punch you in the back of the head for free. I mean, he was defending himself in the octagon. He didn't go out of his way to go beat somebody else up. He didn't take any swings at Khabib after the bell or anything like that. It was, I mean, Khabib hopped the fence, and he's the one that assaulted somebody. So I could kind of understand why they. Froze his pay, but pay the man. Pay the man. Uh, now, I agree with the – I definitely agree that he should be paid because, I mean, he – I mean, I watched the post-fight. I mean, nothing – he did nothing except defend himself from an attacker. I mean, if it wasn't Conor McGregor, it wouldn't even be a discussion of whether he deserved to be paid. Exactly. And I also saw somebody else had said, um, you know, Conor – he didn't press charges on the guy that um that snuck him, so that's how you know it was staged. What? Are you on crack? 
Okay, so Connor doesn't press charges, so the it was all staged, really. No, okay, Connor didn't press charges because he did the exact same thing a couple weeks ago, and he didn't want charges pressed on himself either. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I feel like in Connor's head, he's like, I'm not going to press charges. I mean, they can run up again if they want to. We'll have another knock at it. <laughs> You know, I have a theory now that all the, the news has come together about your the possibility of a Khabib and Connor rematch. Is like, if you notice, a, like, you know, one to two days after this fight, we're getting that, we're hearing that Dana White is thinking about stripping Khabib of his title. But then also, you hear Connor called him the next morning asking for a rematch. Yeah. So here's what I think is exactly what you have theorized, and I, this is my theory as well, is that honestly, I just think that the reason Dana's even considering it is that he can set that rematch up and just make a crap I'm telling money. you, that is the only reason. That's the exact kind of snake thing. Sorry, Dana White, you're a snake. That's the exact kind of thing Dana White would do. That He's going to cash in on that. I saw a meme after the fight, and it said, the real winner of Khabib versus McGregor, and it was Dana White smiling. It's true. Dana White is making so much money off of these guys. Like I don't know how Dana White start, like came to this point, but this man is very smart. He's a very smart businessman for that reason there. And yeah, I you can you can ask Joshua. I predicted that we were all sitting there like, man, what's next? What's gonna happen next after the fight? And I, I said they're gonna strip Habib of the title and they're going to set up a second fight. I said that right after the fight, and then I saw where Dana White said he was talking about possibly stripping Habib, and it just goes to show that he's very – Dana White is very predictable. <laughs> now, the only reason that I do not believe he should – excuse me – um, be let back into – or go back into boxing is because, first of all, we've all seen the video of him tearing up Polly. So – if he goes to boxing again, and especially if he fights Pauly, people are gonna say, "Oh, he got scared out of the he got scared out of the UFC." Oh yeah, for sure. And first of all, Habib is one of the only people who can beat Conor McGregor. <laughs> so I feel like at the least. Well, I mean, yeah, in what he can yeah. fight in, of course. So, like, you know, when you're talking about that, we're talking about. You just gotta like you gotta be careful when you when you like the, like when you're Connor looking for what to do next because every move you've done you will do will be and criticized. You, Connor is a very meticulous and intelligent guy. Like he plans out his movements before he does them. Like I don't know if you saw when he got out of jail the way he carried himself as he was walking to the press and he like you know lifts his arms and pauses and all everything. He they think out every single movement he makes. Like this. This guy is—he keeps his image intact, and I don't know if his—he um, just has a team that helps him with that, or if that's just how intelligent he is. This man is very professional about what he does. And like, I, I mean, you know, of course he is cocky, but I mean, at some point you got to realize that I'm not saying that the UFC is anywhere close to WWE level entertainment wise, but I mean. At some point or another, you got to realize that that's his character, right. quote on, or per, like per that's se. his persona. Like, yeah, that's his persona. Like you're, 
he is the cocky dude. If one day Conor McGregor walked into a, a weigh-in or a press conference or whatever and just shook the dude's hand and said, hey, we're going to have a great fight. I, I love the UFC. They'd be like, they'd be like, is this Gucci's clone for Conor McGregor? Yeah, like, and, and he's he's always been like that. Um, I do want to point out, okay, there's this guy. Um, He's like a Conor McGregor. Like, he's friends with Conor, and they train together and all. And um, he's like a wannabe Conor, but he's not as good. And I'm pretty sure he got knocked out a couple weeks ago. His name's James Gallagher. Um, I'm pretty sure he got knocked out bad a while ago. And he was like, he was being dumb, cocky in the um, pre-fight and all. He was all up in the dude's face and talking all kind of smack. And then he got, dude, that first lick when that dude actually hit him, he was like, wow, we really out you. <laughs> oh my gosh! But he he has the tattoos and the demeanor, and he he posts pictures with Connor all the time, and he just wants to be Connor. I think he needs to get his own persona. No offense, James, because I do follow you on Instagram, but <laughs> you, uh, you need to get your own persona, man. <laughs> Definitely. Now, you know, and as UFC two twenty nine has been going on, all the media and sports, or like the sports media, has mostly been focused on that. Believe it or not, there has been other sports going on. <laughs> so one more, one more um, thing before we switch over real fast. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sure. I'm I'm about to take a jab at Bleacher Report because when I clicked on the MMA tab today, every single thing was about Habib and Connor. I get now that's like the biggest news and everybody wants to know, but it doesn't take every single article on the page to be covering that fight, D- dude. That was literally one of the fights of the year on that card, and I didn't see not one picture from that, nor did I see anything about Derek Lewis's interview, which was more entertaining in itself than the Connor fight. <laughs> You're about right. I, yeah, I'd like to talk about – actually, I would – I do have some, one thing more to add about this fight. Like, I don't – I'm not – I'm not a huge UFC person, but I do – I can sit down and watch one and enjoy it, and I actually enjoyed – most of the fights that I got where I was able to see on the cards the other night. But I'll say this. <laughs> Connor McGregor and Habib had to be these are the two the they still are, but they definitely were the two biggest names in UFC at the time. Yeah. Of this fight. And it was the most boring MMA fight I have ever watched in my life. And I understand why that is. It's because Habib isn't just going to sit there and box with you. He's just he's going to take you down. He's going to use his strength. Exactly. And you know, Connor just wasn't ready for that, so he got manhandled the whole time. But I'll say this: if I had to give you a fight to watch, I would recommend the Pettis fight. Right. (laughs) Pettis and Ferguson was a was a very very entertaining fight. And honestly, I'd if I had known it had been that good, I'd have been okay doing my little pay per view money just to watch that. Dude, that if. Okay. Oh, sorry. Drop my phone. That fight, if it had have went the distance, that could have been like you probably haven't seen it, but the the tough one, the Ultimate Fighter one, with um Force Griffin and my boy um oh my gosh, I don't forgot his name, and that was he's one of my favorite fighters. Sorry, having a brain fart. <laughs> It was Force Griffin, and I'm looking at the man's oh. face, and I cannot remember his name. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Hold on. 
Bonner, Stephen Bonner, Jesus Christ. Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner, that was the greatest MMA fight of all time, in my opinion. And I feel, I feel like that brought a lot of fans. But if that fight had went to the distance, I believe it would have been the same caliber as Griffin versus Bonner. It was very interesting. But um, unless you have anything else to add to UFC, I feel like we can move on to the NBA. Nah, yeah, we got a lot of content to cover, and it's probably going to go past 55 minutes, so let's go ahead. It'll be fine. We got our our loyal fans, the eight views we have on the last post. Hey. They're there for us. We got this. But, um, so, we do like to make a lot of lists when it comes to the NBA because that's definitely the area we're most knowledgeable in. Like, I mean, we just – that's what we do. We play basketball, so it's like, you know, we understand it better. But, like, today I'd like to do a list of five players, and this is in no order, but – Five players that we think are going to have a breakout NBA or a breakout season this next this upcoming NBA regular season. Now, David, would you like to start us off? This um, time? you want to go kind of back and forth because I was looking at your list and I I did this on purpose. I um I picked people I didn't think you would pick, and then I had already made my list. And when you sent me yours, they were actually completely different, which I was glad. So if you want to go back and forth, and I'll do one, then you do one. All right, that sounds good. So, all right. My first player is Jamal Murray. Now, nice. I now I am a personal fan of this player. He plays in the energy. He's he's very entertaining to watch because he's one of those guards that he's kind of like I, he doesn't play like Sean Livingston at all, but he is kind of like Sean Livingston, who is very slept on mm-hmm. for how entertaining they are to watch. I don't know if anybody can agree with me on this, but I actually I actually enjoy watching John Livingston play, but that's beside the point. But Jamal Murray averaged 18 points on 66.7% shooting last year. That's <laughs> you, you know what's funny really about that? Good. I like about that. I, um, I just typed his name in right here on Google, and it says drops 18 points in 19 minutes. So I thought it was pretty funny. He averages 18. He dropped 18 in 19 minutes. <laughs> But he, yeah, he's a, he's an amazing player already. But it, you know, he's not exactly um, all-star, all-star caliber yet. And I, I don't necessarily think he'll be like top votes and all-star next year. But I think he'll solidify himself as an excellent NBA player because he's consistently proved improved over his years in the NBA. And also, he plays for a team with a good system. I mean, they they share the ball. No one's selfish. I mean. Other than Jokic, he's the main option, which I think will allow him to grow because he'll take a kind of co-leadership role on the team. Yeah, for sure. If he gets better and better. And I I didn't – I have points predictions for a lot of these players, and I'm going to have to go with this one on the spot. But I think he'll be able to average 21 to, to 21 or 22 points next 21 season. 21 to 21, I think. probably somewhere around there. I was going to say 21 and a half, and I realized how oddly specific that was. But it works, it works. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm calling it now. Twenty-one to twenty-one points next. <laughs> All right. So, um, the first guy on my list, mine's not in any particular order either, but I feel like I should start it out with some Duke alumni. You know, Marvin Bagley III. Um, my list, I've got, I've got three rookies and then two that aren't rookies. But, um, Bagley was the second pick of the 2018 draft by the Kings. He's a six-eleven big man that played under Coach K at Duke a year ago. He's my wife's favorite player, as I've mentioned before, but I believe he shows great promise as an NBA um, player, as a big man in the NBA. I feel as though he'll be a pretty good rim protector and clean the glass for the Kings as he progresses. 
He was the ACC Rookie of the Year and the ACC Player of the Year. He's our age, literally like the same age as Josh and I. So he has plenty of time to grow and develop, and I think he'll do exceptionally well this season. Um, he's he's just gonna be he's gonna be good in my opinion. I I think he's possible Rookie of the Year candidate. Uh, I mean, I I could see that. I mean, I feel like it'll be between him and maybe five other players if I just had to guess yeah. at the start of the season. But now my second choice is De'Aaron Fox. Now, I will say that I wanted to put DeWante Murray here, and unfortunately he tore his ACL today, and that will be a career – I mean, a season, excuse me, ending injury. Breaking news. Doc, and I mean, Sports Medicine Josh, you heard it first. He's going to be out for the rest of his career. <laughs> Oh, well, he'll make a comeback like Jordan. But, um, I mean. What's up with you and Murray? I, I don't really know. I, I just like them all, I guess. But, um, I mean, he – I would like to touch on him for a second because I feel like when he comes back, he has potential to be good. And I would just like to say, you know, he was a all-NBA – or all-defensive second team. I mean, you know. He, They're all NBA. He, with T. With TP and um, Manu gone, I feel like he'd have an increased role. And, I mean, I just – you know, when he comes back at, after this season, of course, because, as you know, ACLs are – they'll take you out. <sighs> but, anyway, my ACL actual pick, You said you hate ACL yeah. injuries. Don't we all? <laughs> but um, my second choice that I replaced with him – and now I'm not saying – there are plenty of people I wanted to put on this list. I'll say Agreed. that. Like, it's we could have done. I could have probably done twenty. Like for real. But I have Deer and Fox here now. To me, he was kind of slept on as a rookie because at first, if the media like because of the you know how Lonzo and Deer and Fox kind of like had that sort of media beef that the kind of the media created in a way, <laughs> uh, like and so, you know. When he came in, when they both came into the NBA, at first, like at the very start of the season, most sports media you would see De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo, and of course, as other rookies got better, you started to see, um, you know, Tatum and um, Mitchell more in the media, and so I feel like he kind of got covered up by them, and I definitely think that they they were better than them last year, no debate, but I feel like he will be even better next year. Because, I mean, he can be a solid leader of a team because, I mean, he's, you know, starting point yeah. guard. I mean, as a rookie. I mean, he shoots very well. I mean, he's 50-plus percent. I mean, that's just pretty good no matter how you look at it. And I predict him to be a 15- to 16-point performer next year paired with four rebounds and seven assists, like about that many. And, I mean, I feel like he'll be a, a solid NBA player in the future. All right, so um, my second guy, it's a guy I know. I knew Joshua wouldn't have him on his list, even though Joshua's a fan of this guy. And he's on Joshua's favorite team. Can you guess who it is? Is he a rookie? Yeah. Dante DiVincenzo? Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo. Oh, boy. This guy played absolutely amazing in the March Madness tournament. I don't know if you guys seen it, but you should have. I love him. He was a two-time NCAA champion at Villanova, which was, like, one of the winningest college teams in history, where he was also awarded the Sixth Man of the Year Award. For those of you that don't know him, he has a pretty good shooting stroke, and that's something that the Bucks are desperately in need of to be a contender in the East. 
I think he's in the right time at the right place, and I think he'll excel, and he's going to be a great piece alongside um, Giannis and Delhi. I think he'll get some good open looks. And this guy's – not only can he shoot, he's pretty athletic. He has like a 42-inch vertical. So, I mean, the guy's the guy's I'll say, the gym. <laughs> I'll say this. I mean, yeah, okay. The other night – I'm sure if you looked like for your average person, you look at his stats in the pre in the preseason game played just the other night. He had two points and shot eleven point six or seven percent, something like that. I mean that's horrible, obviously yeah, but... shooting wise. But in my opinion, that preseason is not is when you get those jitters right. out. And I mean he has been on the biggest stage in college basketball twice and did not freeze either time. So I believe that he will get into his groove in the regular NBA season. Sure. And also his point, his rebounds and assists did not look that bad either. He's a good anyway. all-around player, honestly, especially to be a shooting guard. He's like 6'5". And I he think. hustles. He just hustles. I, I, that's yeah, what I really he plays like really about hard. him. He like, has a he high just all over the place. So – my third player on my list is C.J. McCollum. Now, the, he's a formidable two-guard already. I mean, he's he's a great second option to Dame. He can shoot. He can dribble. He can drive. I mean, he's a, he's a good guard. But, I mean, he's all he is under 20 points averaging. I mean, he does have great nights. But he hasn't really had an amazing year yet. But with the Trailblazers as a whole improving, I think he will as well. I predict him to be a – 20-point-something score this year, even with the presence of Dame, who already dropped okay. numbers. So that, that's, your, that's it for him? All right. Yes, that, that's all. Gotcha. Um, my, the third and final rookie on my list is um, – <laughs> Joshua hates this guy. <laughs> this guy is a perfect example of what the league is transitioning to. He's a seven-foot-tall shooter, and his name is Mo Wagner. <laughs> I thought you hated him, too. <laughs> I, I get to that. He's good. He's really good inside the paint, and he's just as good around the perimeter, and he carried the Wolverines to the championship only to lose the DiVincenzo's Wildcats. Now, I hated this man in March Madness. I really did. I, I disliked him completely. But I feel like now that he's not playing against Duke anymore, then I'm I'm more open minded to his game. And I, we know how much you like seven foot white dudes <laughs> shoot. It's my favorite kind of player, man. Chris Tops. Come on, man. The league is gonna be it's already ridiculously tall. I think in a in about twenty years it'll be just a bunch of seven foot six foot six plus guys that can all shoot threes. Like seven foot six is gonna be the average center. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I, I can see it getting. I up think with LeBron's help on the Lakers, he can develop into an integral Lakers offense. He might not get that much PT right away, but he's a potential future starter. I mean, they don't they're not that deep in the front court, and he's he's pretty good. So I think he's I think he's a good fit, fit and I think he'll be pretty good for years to come. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I don't like it, but, I mean, that's what the league is going to. So, I mean, and I'm sure that all my hatred just comes from Loyola Chicago. Uh, 
That old lady was so sweet. That was an awesome team to watch. That was probably my favorite team from last year's (laughs) playoff. But anyway, (laughs) my fourth person on my list is Derrick Rose. Now, this one will make some people laugh and some people shake their heads vigorously. I'm I'm joyous about that pick. I really am. So, he's obviously already had some amazing years. He was the youngest MVP in NBA, NBA history, which is quite an accomplishment. And he's been the leader of teams that rivaled some of the greatest Eastern Conference teams. I mean, that you know, when you can go head-to-head with LeBron, I mean, that just says something alone. I mean, he definitely has had breakout seasons already, but he has had such a slump that I feel like he can – he if he revitalizes even – 90% of his former self, I feel like you can consider it a breakout yeah. season. I mean, he's looked good. He's looked really good in preseason. I mean, you're, you're seeing his athleticism, and, I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite impressive. I mean, I haven't seen Derrick Rose do a power dribble dunk in I don't even know how long, if I've ever seen it in you know, years. But – I predict he will revive some of his old Bulls and early Knicks athleticism and, and I mean, his heart to the game to have a great year. I predict him to aver- – wait. Timberwolves. <laughs> oh, the Timberwolves. Yes, the Timberwolves. Tom Timberwolf. But anyway, um, his heart to have a great year. And, I mean, I predict him to average 17.5 to 19 points. I'm not exactly going to give him – I'm not going to give him 20 – yet until I you know I see him play a little bit more but um I mean I think he'll have at least three rebounds and three assists which I mean those aren't that's not amazing numbers but I would consider that pretty good for his you know struggles he's had in the recent years and I think he'll average these numbers and okay you'd think the more PT he would get the more numbers I'd say he would put up but the fact that Tom Thibodeau plays his starters to death kind of makes me feel like he will be kind of tired and not be able to produce as quite as much as he would if he could get to sit down for a little bit. <laughs> He's getting old, man. But he that's needs just my opinion he, on him. He even said it himself, most people in his shoes would have retired. Speaking of his shoes, I was the first person to get those D-Rose Lake Shores. Like, that was the man to me. And when I first got to high school, rocked the D-Rose socks with the Lake Shores and – Wore my D Rose socks at football games and got holes in them, but we ain't gonna talk about it because I still wore them. Um, no, but the fourth <laughs> guy on my list is um Donovan Mitchell. The man played freaking amazing last year. He played like a superstar for the Jazz, and he was only a rookie, and he was debatably screwed out of the Rookie of the Year award last year. And I think he's been working a lot on his defense, and he'll lead the Jazz back to the playoffs again with his all around athleticism and skill, and this this guy is awesome to me, and he's he's a leader of this team, and he's pretty much the youngest guy other than the guys they just drafted, and he's gonna he's gonna go places in his career for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, my next person and final person on my list is Jason Tatum. Now, on the Rookie of the Year conversation, this is who I believe should have received it, and the only reason I say that is. Now, this is my reasoning for a lot of who my picks are to win season awards, is now that the award ceremony is after the entire season is over, I see no reason why it can't be based on the playoffs as well as the regular season. 
because and that's just my that's just my opinion. But that's a topic for another day. Don Don was going ham too in the playoffs now. I know, but I mean you you know, when you're thinking about a team that could have easily just bounced once they lost everybody. Yeah. I mean, and he steps up and he says, No, I'm gonna lead this team and like improves every aspect of his game in the playoffs, which is when people start playing real defense. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive to me. I mean, he's already scoring double digits, like not averaging it in regular season, but, I mean, he's, he can score it. It's not like he's, you know, suffering in any department of his game. I mean, he gets the assists, he gets the rebounds, he gets the points. And, I mean, he's averaging almost double, double digits. Yeah. Um, he stepped up during the playoffs to cover the absence of Kyrie. And, I mean, he's a great shooter and scorer in general. And, I mean, his percentage isn't, like, the, the craziest thing I've ever seen. But, I mean, you wouldn't leave him open just like you wouldn't leave Kobe open. But, I mean, I believe even with Kyrie and Hayward back, he will do excellent this season and, and at least average maybe 15 points. I'll give him four rebounds and three assists. Do you, do you think he's going to start at shooting guard? Like, you think you're going to move him to shooting guard even though his – main position to small forward or what do you think they're going to do I believe the lineup will be more than likely I've seen I've seen things that bumped him down to power forward and I don't know how I feel about that I, I think he could work anywhere in the um the f- one through four honestly I feel like he Gordon's obviously going to be um the small forward I he is six eight so I could I could kind of see him at power forward, but I would probably have him at the shooting guard opposed to power forward. But I mean, they'll they'll excel regardless, in my opinion. What I would do, I think, and this is just a, a theory I have for their lineup, is I would put Kyrie at point, obviously. Then I would probably put Jalen Brown at shooting guard. Which I mean, this this could be confusing until I give the whole list. Jason Tatum at small forward, Gordon Hayward at power forward. And the only reason I say that is because he has – this sounds funny, but he has the biggest body of any of those people. Like, you know, he's 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 probably the most equipped to bang in the paint with someone. If I mean, because obviously he'll be able to guard power forwards that are shooters and stay at the wing. Yeah. I mean, he can do that. But, like, I think he's the most equipped to bang in the paint with the ones who don't. And then, of course, you can always, when you have a weaker center than you have a power forward, like, for example, the Pelicans would be a good example, you could always switch on Horford to Davis and put Gordon on, like, uh, if Okafor starts, then I, I would say Okafor. But then that's just my opinion on that situation. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll see what um, their coach decides to do because I've absolutely gone completely blank on what their coach's name is. To the um, Pelicans or the Celtics? Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> Have you gone blank too? Is no. <laughs> Brad Stevens? Here we man. are. Uh, Brad yeah. Stevens. Thank you. He coached. He coached Gordon too in college. So I think Gordon will probably get his first pick of what position he wants based off of that. Honestly, I don't think it matters what position you put any three of them at. I think they're all interchangeable at all three. And they could just run a bunch of different looks and have each one play different spots. Honestly, I don't. I think they could just have a completely fluid two through four. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that because I mean, they are playing what I guess you could consider small ball with that lineup. However, I do think it is the best lineup they could have on the floor to start the game off. 
I mean, I think those are the five best players on the team. I think I would go. I mean, so that's just. I think I would go um, Kyrie, Tatum, Hayward, and then my boy Brown, just because he weighs the most. I could see that also. I I, I was about to say he's got the most girth. Yeah, he's girth. But But, um, all right, are you done with that one? All right, yeah, so on to my, my last pick, um, Brandon Ingram. At Duke, he was the ACC Player of the Year as well as the North Carolina Mr. Basketball. He's a pretty good all-around player. I mean, he's 6'9 with a wingspan of seven foot three. It's another player that under LeBron's tutelage will excel. He has he's, hasn't really had the chance to just show how athletic he is. I think if he works on his shot a little bit more, he'll be a, he'll be a force to be reckoned with. And I think he's looking pretty good in preseason – um, teaming up with LeBron and just making plays together. Yeah, I, I can see that. I feel like his ability to learn from someone like LeBron will definitely benefit this upcoming season for him. I mean, you know, LeBron just makes people better. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like the most intelligent basketball mind ever. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's ri- it's ridiculous. But anyway, um, now that We've discussed that. I would like to touch on a different issue in the NBA, which is just this Jimmy Butler ordeal. And, I mean, I know we've touched on the Timberwolves and talked a little junk about Tom Thibodeau already, <laughs> but um, to me this is a is kind of a funny situation because it's what you see happen with people specifically like him all the time. You – he wants out, but he's so because like good players have a hard time getting out of places. Because yeah, their GMs aren't just gonna take no one for him. Like you can't just give him like a draft pick and Alex Caruso right to get him. Like you can't. Hey, do don't that. hit him, so, my boy, my boy Alex. <laughs> I mean, but you know, at the end of the day, he wants out. And knowing – and, like, I just do not – I see it more beneficial to the Timberwolves to try and get as good as they can get because how's the locker room atmosphere going to be when everyone in there – I mean, first of all, Wiggins hates him because Wiggins doesn't care about basketball. But then, <laughs> and Cat um, uh, plays unmotivated, I guess. I mean, Wiggins hates him. Cat's, is, Cat's unmotivated. I mean – Every time I've watched Cat play, I haven't really – that's not how I would describe that. But, I mean, I guess that that's what Jimmy Butler sees in him every day. Yeah, I guess – I mean, it, it probably boils down, boils down to, like, what he sees at practice and all, too. Because, I mean, we're not yeah. there in the gym. We don't know what he sees. But – And, I mean, I trust someone like Jimmy Butler to give an accurate description of someone's work ethic because, I mean, he has a crazy one himself. Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I get as good as they can get because it, along with the disruption that's already been caused, imagine your teammates knowing that you don't even want to be there. For sure. I mean, that's not going to create a winning atmosphere. Right. I mean, he's a poor man's Kawhi. They can find something. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's just my opinion on that issue. And, I mean, do you have anything to add to that? Um. Do you think that he's going to get traded, or do you think he's just going to end up having to tough it out and play? Because um, it's, it's been nearly three weeks now. I do want to add the Kyrie trade to Boston took about six weeks. So, I mean, he's still got plenty of time, but opening day, opening night is in nine days, apparently. 
I think he'll get traded during the season. That that's fair. Um, I I don't think I, it should affect his game personally. I think I feel like he'll show up to play no matter what uniform he has to wear until he can get to where he wants to go. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I, I can't exactly remember who he said he wanted to go to at the moment. Brooklyn. Bro- oh yeah, Brooklyn and the, and the Knicks and the Heat. Or no, the Heat were interested in him. Yeah, he said no to the Heat. Yeah. He was like, I mean, I've never heard anyone say no to Miami, but that's besides. I figured he would honestly like, like playing in Miami, but he, he he looks like he lived in Miami, so I just figured, you know. But I mean, I could see I could see him going to the Knicks or the Nets. But my only confusing thing about this is I thought he wanted to go somewhere where people cared about basketball. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't really know what to say about that because I can't see him being added to – I can see him – I can see the Knicks potentially boosting by a lot their chances in the playoffs with him. I mean, now I'm not saying necessarily this year if he gets traded there. I personally think it might take them at least a season to, you know, get in contention. But, I mean, if he goes to Brooklyn, I don't really see that team doing anything necessarily special. I will I will say this. I feel like Brooklyn would be the right move if he wants to be with guys that actually want to play basketball. Because those guys, they have a really good bond from what I can see. They're all very close to the entire team. And those guys want to play basketball and they want to put in the work. They're just – I guess they just don't have the skill. <laughs> but, like, th- those guys are putting in work. Like, Damari Carroll and guys like that, they're they're putting in the work, honestly, from what I can tell. All I'm saying, all I'm saying to wrap this issue up is if, if Jimmy Butler goes to Brooklyn, he better not cheat on his girlfriend. Because <laughs> D-Lo himself <laughs> is waiting there. <laughs> but, um, you know, just to wrap this show up a little bit, we'd like to touch on the NFL. I'd like to talk about two things. I'd like to talk about, because we both predicted our AFC matchup to be the Chiefs and the Jags, and they played the other night, and I would like to say this about that. Yes, the Chiefs came out with a nice margin of victory, and I think that that showed that they played well, but we not we must not forget that they have quite, the Jags have quite the, a few players on IR right now. Right. I mean, you definitely got to look at, I mean, Kalias Campbell, um, Leonard Fournette. I mean, they have, like, you know, some big names on their team out right now. And, I mean, it's kind of the same concept as, like, why the Falcons absolutely suck right now. I mean, they have no defense. Right. <laughs> um. Okay. So, you know, Leonard Fournette is the best running back they have, and he's he's hurt, and he tried to um play through it, and he kind of um re-triggered the injury. And – I mean, you don't want him to be stupid and try and play him before he's ready, and then that turns into a rest-of-the-season injury or possibly even a career-ending injury. And um, I'm pretty sure my boy TJ Yeldon, he literally, like, has a back injury. And um, people are talking about um, why didn't they run the ball on one of those um, conversions. I'm pretty sure his back is, like, messed up. Ankle injury, too. I'm pretty sure something is wrong with his back, and he has, like – I'm just Googling it right here, so I don't 
I don't give you some misinformation. But I'm pretty sure the man has like a serious back injury too that he's just been playing through. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll touch on that later. But pretty much the entire running back core is injured on the Jaguars. All of their running backs, and they have like a third string lineman in because their offensive line is plagued with injuries as well. Um, and y'all can get off my boy Blake. We're gonna do it in the defense of Blake Bortles one of these days. Y'all need to get off my boy Blake. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, he had four picks, but he also threw for 400 yards. And when you don't have a running back, you're going to have to air it out. He did hit the uh, lineman in the back of the head with a ball, but I'll I'll find an explanation for that later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, you know, to to move on to our next topic, I would like to say that the, they're not the only place with a quarterback issue, quote-unquote. Exactly. Considering that we have now discovered breaking news. This is You heard it here first, first folks. OBJ has been moved to QB1 for the New York Giants. <laughs> that man has a cannon <laughs> and can throw under pressure and could move if he wanted to because we know he's fast. <laughs> so, I mean, listen, hashtag make OBJ QB1. But also throw the ball to himself. And you, you know what's really funny about um about him throwing that <laughs> that touchdown? He was just talking junk about Eli, and then he goes in there and throws a TD. <laughs> like, I mean, how savage can you possibly be to jive on your own quarterback and then throw a touchdown in his face? <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely tune in for a little in the defense of OBJ, possibly at some point, because, I mean... We defending the whole NFL. Like, <laughs> yeah, we are. There's two... Because, listen, here, here's what I've learned as being a fan of multiple sports. No matter no matter who it is, no matter where you go, no matter what you see, there's going to be somebody that's hated for absolutely no Duke. reason other than the fact he's good. And that, I feel like, is OBJ. Right? But anyway... um. I digress. Well, um, my NFL predictions, I did absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> there's still one, I think, let's see, I didn't check um, the game that was played tonight. I want to check that real fast to see what my actual um, record was for the night. Okay, it's at halftime. The Saints are winning. So, I'm possibly pushing for five games that I got correct in 10, I got 10 games wrong. Absolutely wrong. <laughs> I need to do some more research or something. I don't know. No excuses. I suck. But, um, yeah, I, I want to, I predicted that Drew Brees is going to have through, um, 300 plus passing yards and he has 250. So I did get that right. So y'all can kiss my behind on that one. <laughs> um, as are my SEC predictions, I actually did all right in the um, SEC, but the games I got wrong were big ones. I got four out of the seven games right. Florida, South Carolina, and Mississippi State have me standing corrected. I'm obviously biased against UF because I'm a Georgia fan, and honestly, I was just hoping they would lose just to see their fans say, OMG, Florida sucks. We don't have a QB. Because if they win a game, then my God, they're going to be national champions. But if they lose a game, they're the most sorry team in the SEC. And I find it hilarious that Gator fans say things like that. And even the guys on the radio that cover Florida here, because I'm in Jacksonville, 
if they if they perform well, oh my gosh, the, the Gators are back. And then the next week they play a little bit sorry. Oh man, I hate this team. Felipe Franks, he's so sorry. And then the next week, Felipe Franks, he's gonna be um Heisman winner. <laughs> You you talking about Trey Curry or um, Stephen Young? <laughs> but um, yeah. So I could get a little. I, my SEC picks were all right. Sorry, Allen. We're gonna get you on the show so you can um destroy me with your knowledge of Gator football. But um, and just football in general because I feel like it'll put both of us to shame. I don't. I ain't even. I ain't even mad at him. Allen, sweetie, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And listen. Uh, we have a lot of get – well, we're reaching the 56-minute mark, so I feel like it's appropriate to wrap things yeah, up. Yeah, that's fair. We have a um a lot of segments coming towards you this, that we've already discussed. we got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Hopefully. Um, we, plan, we actually have a good lineup of guests who want to be on this show, including um, a local sports commentator and a former professional women's basketball player at some point. As soon as we can figure out the technique, the technical. And we're talking about like she, she was good. She was like you know, Naismith Hall of Fame worthy. So hopefully y'all are listening to that. If not, I'm sure you will be when she comes on the show. <laughs> I certainly hope. But so. um, and go ahead. I would like to um apologize for the at least four or five technical difficulties we had where. Our audio cut out a little bit. We only missed a couple words. Um, you can just imagine whatever you'd like in there. Yeah. So, yeah, we had some some type of technical difficulties before as well. So that's why we're still going at ten o'clock. So I apologize for that. You can catch this on Tuesday. I'm sure you'll be listening. Um, but this is our new sign off. All right, love you. Bye. All right, I love you. Bye.